learn about prayer? How can we be better prayers individually? How can we be a better church when it comes to prayer? And week one, the realities that, that we tried to grab a hold of was that prayer was important and prayer was powerful, but really focusing on that goal to become dependent on prayer. First Peter 5, 7, Peter says, cast all your cares on the Lord. He cares for you. Become dependent upon prayer. Week two, we talked about this idea of praying in Jesus' name. And where does that come from? Well, that came from Jesus. Jesus in John chapter 14, Jesus in John chapter 15, Jesus in John chapter 16, five times says that if you pray in my Father's name, in my name, Shazam, sky's the limit. Crazy things will happen if you pray in my name. And so does that mean I want a million dollars, so I'm going to pray that I get a million dollars in Jesus' name? No, that's not what it means. When you pray in Jesus' name, that means you're praying prayers that are focused and driven by the will of God. You're praying prayers that align with the passions of Jesus, and you're praying big picture prayers. You're praying kingdom prayers. Last week, Neil Wyndham from Lincoln Christian University, wonderful message, uh, just a narrative kind of weaving this idea of prayer as faithfulness and Romans 12, 12, be faithful in prayer, sharing stories of how that's unfolded in his life and in the life of churches that he's been a part of. And today we focus on this idea of the power of unified prayer. I can't quantify this, but I, I believe that Paul's heart for the church at Ephesus is just extra special. I think Paul had a passion for a lot of the churches that, that he ministered at, but it just seems like when, when you come to the book of Ephesians, and especially Ephesians chapter 3, you see a little something extra. And so in Ephesians 3 from verses 14 to 19, he's just pouring out his love for this church and praying for this church and praying for the people of the church. But then he ends his prayer with where I want to begin today. Verse 20, he says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. To him who is able to do immeasurably more. Think about that for just a moment. We have a God that's able to do immeasurably more than we can even ask for. Immeasurably more than we can even imagine. What is that? What's that look like in your life? To have a God who can do immeasurably more than you can even dream about. What's that look like for this church to have a God that can do immeasurably more than we can even dream about, than we can even speak about, than we can even imagine? That's the God that we serve. And that's why the tragedy of this month would be if we walk away and say, well, there were some pretty good sermons. That was a pretty good book that we read, that extreme prayer that Greg Pruitt's got it going. That was a pretty cool prayer walk that we had. It said all that. And nothing changed. Nothing changed in our lives. Nothing changed within our families. Nothing changed within our church. And so in order to keep that from happening, I want to do two things this morning. And then you're going to hear one of the best testimonies I've ever heard 
as we conclude our sermon time and lead into worship this morning. First thing I want to do is I want to talk about mistakes that I think Christians make when it comes to really being focused on this unified prayer. And mistake number one is this, it's praying general prayers instead of specific prayers. Just being really general in the prayers. God, help all the people that need you. Well, that's not a bad prayer. A lot of people that need them. But think for a moment about your neighbor that doesn't know Jesus. Think for a moment about your coworker that doesn't know Jesus. Think for a moment the, the teammate on your school team or in algebra class or whatever it may be that doesn't know Jesus. Pray specifically, God, help me reach Joseph. God, help me talk to Joanna. God, help me be light when I'm around Bill. Praying general prayers instead of specific prayers is a mistake. Secondly, praying safe prayers instead of dangerous prayers. I, I challenge you to, to just think about the prayers that you've prayed, let's just say in the last 48 hours. Have they been safe prayers or have they been dangerous prayers? Have they been risky prayers? Have they been prayers like, God, help no one to get hurt today? Well, we don't want anybody to get hurt. That's a good prayer to pray. Or have you prayed dangerous prayers? Dangerous for you, dangerous for your family, dangerous for the church, dangerous for the kingdom. Three, praying prayers that keep God inside the box. Do you ever pray prayers that keep God inside the box? It's really easy to settle for the box. But, but I believe in a God that's way outside the box. And I have to remember, we have to remember when we pray prayers, we can't pray prayers that exclusively keep God inside the box. Christians make mistakes when they pray prayers without passion or they pray prayers without mission in mind. We began three weeks ago asking the question, have you ever prayed a prayer and before you even said amen, you convinced yourself there's no chance that prayer is getting answered? If you're being honest, you've probably been there. You want it to happen, but you pray to you just think, man, it's just not happening. It's not playing out. And when we do that, we're praying without passion. We're praying without mission. And then finally, mistakes Christians make, praying with a but. Now, let me, let me clarify that. It's B-U-T. But it, it, it's praying prayers that maybe are something like this. God, I really want our church to grow but I want to make sure all the people look like me. God, I really want to do something crazy for the kingdom, but I want to do it in DeWitt County. God, I want your kingdom to come, but I don't want it to affect my life too much. Praying prayers with a but. I wasn't in church here last week. I skipped and I was in Springfield and attended a couple churches there. And um, one of the churches, I have to just tell you, was so far outside my comfort zone, it's not even funny. Um, and I loved every minute of it. I had the opportunity to worship with uh, my friends Jerry and Jita Doss. They've been a part of the uh, Intentional Church Conference for several years. And had the opportunity to teach classes at Lincoln that they were a part of. And they lead Abundant Faith Christian Center in uh, Springfield, and uh, 
we do a worship set here, three songs, you know, 13, 14, 15 minutes. They did a three-song worship set that was 31 minutes. Um, it, it, was, it was just different. Um, it was a different service, and wow, was I blessed. But here's the point that I took away is that too many times my vision of the kingdom, too many times our vision of the kingdom, too many times our vision of what the church should look like looks like us. And we find ourselves praying prayers with a but. So moving toward unified prayer, this idea of a unified prayer, what's that look like? How do we pull that out? Well, unified prayer is this. Prayer should live in the context of the heart of Jesus. Living in the context of the heart of Jesus. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord's Prayer, the middle part of the Sermon on the Mount, the middle part of the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will come be done. Jesus in the garden. What did he pray? God, I don't want to do this. Take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. And so when as a movement of people, we have a single focus, a unified prayer, and it's a prayer that lives in the, in the context of the heart of Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done. We're moving toward unified prayer. Second, prayer should bring personal and corporate humility. I, I was really convicted this week as I prepared this message and tried to figure out what I wanted to say that too many of my prayers over a lot of my lifetime, but especially in, in recent time, if I was being honest, they probably did not scream of humility. They probably did not scream of personal humility or corporate humility. I mean, we know the verse of Scripture from Proverbs. James quotes it. Peter quotes it. It's all over the place in the Bible. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. But moving toward unified prayer means we humble ourselves. All of us humble ourselves. And we realize it's really not about me. It's really not about us. It really is all about God's kingdom. Number three, moving toward unified prayer. Prayer should promote unity in all situations and circumstances. I, I love the vision of the Alexander Campbells, the Barton W. Stones, the Walter Scotts, the founders of the Restoration Movement. Yeah, they wanted to get back to the Bible. They were tired of the creeds. They, they were fed up with denominations, but man, did they have a passion for one church. For a unity of believers where you come together with a common focus and a common purpose. Moving toward unity, unified prayer means that we're praying prayers that promote unity in every situation. And then finally, moving toward unified prayer. Prayer that will boldly lead us where we've never gone before. I was thinking about a couple of our monthly mission partners as I was thinking of this kind of Star Trek thing here um, and, and going where we've never gone before. And I thought about Little Galilee. And I don't even know if any of their staff's here right now or not, but if you were to go back in time 20 years to 1996, you know, the camp was in a lot of debt. And um, if you would have said, I want you to look 20 years into the future and that debt, baby, is going to be gone. 
and you're going to have built a new activity center, and you're going to have built four brand new cabins and renovated a couple others, and the boys' dorm where people used to climb in the rafters, that's now going to be a game room where people still climb in the rafters, and you're going to have the vision for dining hall. It's going to be awesome. I think they would have looked back and said, well, that's a great dream, but let's spend some time in reality. Do you see the debt that we owe? Do you see the challenges that are in front of us? They've boldly gone where a lot of people never thought they could go. And it's not for the power of little Galilee. It's for the glory of God. What about the kooky Christian church mission in, in northeast India, a place near and dear to my heart? When Dr. T. Lund Kim came to America in 1980 to try to raise money for a single mission building, a single ministry building, if you'd have sat him down and said, Dr. Lund Kim, we're going to look ahead 36 years into the future. And 36 years into the future, here's what's going to happen. India, even though it's about 3% Christian, Manipur state, where your ministry is going to be, it's going to be 40% Christian. There's going to be as many Christians in northeast India in the state of Manipur as there are Hindus. And oh, by the way, there's going to be a hospital that, that is operating under the umbrella of the Kooky Christian Church Mission, and a seminary, and a Bible college, and an orphanage. I think he might, even though he's probably the strongest man of faith I know, he might have just looked at you and said, I'm just trying to raise money for a building. That's way out there. What's way out there in your world? What's way out there? in your family's life? What's way out there for First Christian Church, for the kingdom of God here on earth? We are blessed this morning to have the opportunity to hear a testimony from Merle and Sharon Cox on this idea of unified prayer, this idea of bunches and bunches of people praying for a singular focus. Let's watch that at this time. Going back to the very beginning, uh, the last thing I remember is being off my garden for a winter. Uh, and then the next thing, I woke up at Barnes and realized I had lost approximately 50 days. Uh, wasn't able to hear without the aid of an amplifier. Uh, of course, I couldn't talk, uh, couldn't write. The vision was very blurry. Uh, the one thing I could do, I could communicate with God, and, uh, and it's, that was the most important thing at that time. Uh, um, it was October 10th. He had a cough, and he was just really weak, and so I told him we needed to go to the ER and try to see what was going on. And at that point, from testing, we determined he had a, a heart attack and that we needed to transfer him. So I was able to ride in the ambulance and um, we went to Barnes Jewish, got there around 1.30 in the morning on a Sunday. And they immediately put him in ICU. Well, things just really went downhill and then he really got ill. And it was like about three days after we were there um, he was struggling with breathing, the whole thing. 
And so there was really no choice at that point but to put him on a ventilator because um, he was struggling too much. And I just remember being in the hallway by myself and trying to listen in on the doctor's conversations. And I heard them say pneumonia, it was septic, and the virus had spread through his body. So um, we, have, we have a Facebook prayer group that my daughter started about three years ago. And if it wouldn't have been for that group, um, just giving us the encouragement to just keep on keeping on, I don't know how we could have gotten through. It was a, a very long ordeal. Um, the heart surgeon came to me and said, if you believe in prayer, that's what you need to be doing. And we went out to the group for prayer. Um, I knew that Merle was at death's door. And my post on October 14th to the group was, Dear prayer warriors, things have not gone well. It is with a broken heart that I share they put Merle on a ventilator this morning. The viral infection is throughout his body, including the blood. He was struggling to breathe, so the ventilator is the only way to give him comfort. The doctors are doing what they can, but it is in God's hands. Please pray for our family's strength. Thank you. And then um, we had so many miracles while we were there. Um, the doctor's infectious disease came to me and said there, there really isn't much you can do for a virus. But the FDA had an er experimental drug and if I would um, sign a consent, they could apply for it for emergent use. They didn't know if we could get it and I signed the form like on 11 a.m. on a Friday and they had that drug there by 11 p.m. that night and gave him the first dose and it was gradual but it worked it was it was reducing the virus in his body but we still had the heart to deal with and he was too weak for any type of surgery um, but the doctors again came to me and said there may be another plan. We have, we have a surgeon or a cardiologist here who has done stenting of those main arteries and we'll have him look at the film and see what he thinks. And so we were waiting and they came and said he, he said he thought he could do it. So that was that was another miracle in addition to the drug and it was a process to get there um, it took two different procedures but Dr. Singh got those arteries stented where everyone else said it wasn't possible they in order to even attempt to get him off the ventilator they said they needed to do a tracheotomy so um, that was another procedure he went through but uh, after 32 days, we, we were able to move to a rehab floor. And um, the doctors had told me that it could take months 
to to get him through this but um, we were there I think it was about day 42 they were able to remove the ventilator totally so and he was able to breathe on his own so that was another big miracle for us well first they they got the, the uh, speaking valve on my trach so at least I could communicate the first garbled words I said was to my wife, I love you. And uh, through prayer, uh, I was able to gain some strength and, and several days later, uh, the vision cleared up. I can communicate and begin pressing the doctors uh, where we go from here and when can I go home. And uh, they said, well, the first thing you got to do is pass the swallow test before we can take out the feeding tube and the trick. Uh, the first we had heard of the swallow test, but uh, the swallow test was to keep the uh, see if the muscles in the throat were strong enough to keep the food from leaking into the lungs. And the uh, first swallow test uh, was a failure. Uh, I did have leakage into the lungs. Second test, same results. Uh, the third test, they said, we got, we have been doing five days between the tests. We have another five days uh, for the third test. And if that doesn't pass, You'll be going home with a trach and, uh, and a feeding tube, uh, which gave me great alarm. And, uh, you know, all that God had worked in my life and our lives over the years, uh, for a certain amount of time, you know, and I think that's just human instinct. I forgot all that God had done. And, uh, it was getting in a panic mode of having to live with a trach and a feeding tube. And, uh, and uh, in fact, I called or text Greg one evening during that time span and asked for congregational prayer, uh, knowing how uh, powerful that is to come from a body of believers. And uh, so I did that, and Greg assured me uh, that that would happen. And, uh, in the meantime, I had heard a, a comment from Dr. Charles Stanley that uh, said adversity in one's life makes you stronger spiritually. And uh, how true that is. Uh, at this time, I would like to thank each and every one uh, that, that lifted us up in prayer during that time because each prayer that went up played a significant role uh, in saving my life. And uh, I just I just thank the Lord for that. We give him all the praise and glory uh, for all the prayers that were answered. So after 65 days, they said, tomorrow we're going to send you home. So we were able to come home on December 15th. And um, it was a wonderful Christmas with our family. And, you know, it's easy to get back into the your normal life but it's something 
I don't ever want to forget just because I know that every day is a miracle and we try to remind ourselves to count our blessings and to be thankful for the day. And you know, only God uh, can take a, a paralyzed and broken life, uh, going back 40 years, and turn it into a wonderful, wonderful, successful life. Mm -hmm. And uh, he has certainly done that, and it's, and it's been through prayer. Uh, Sharon, wave at us. Merle and Sharon, God bless you. God bless you. What an incredible example of unified prayer. The body of believers from more than just one body of believers praying uh, unified prayers. What, what a wonderful, wonderful testimony. My bottom line for you today as we conclude our time together, unified prayer is powerful. Unified prayer is possible. We, we just saw that testimony, but it requires much effort and humility. Last scripture I want to put up on the screen is Colossians chapter 4. Paul writes to the church at Colossae, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may, we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. And God, it's my prayer that um, what, whatever we brought here today, whatever, um, maybe we've had it just building up inside us for, for a while, but that whatever divides us will be no more. And that we'll put aside our, um, just the personal and we'll focus on the kingdom. Our prayer is that your kingdom will come and your will will be done. God, I thank you so much for Merle and Sharon Cox, for the difference they have made in this church and for this church for decades. And I thank you for their willingness to, to be vulnerable and to share their heart. And it's my prayer that We'll never grow tired of being a praying church. We'll pray without apology. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. The team is going to lead us in, in several songs that will lead us into a time of communion. And during this time, um, if you want to talk about Jesus, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, I'm going to be up front here. I'd love to, to have that conversation with you, but may, maybe you'd like someone to pray with you. I'd be honored to pray with you. Adam Brucker is going to be in the back. He'd love to pray with you as we stand together and the worship team leads us in a season of worship. The atmosphere is changing now. Of the Lord is 
atmosphere, the atmosphere is changing now. Oh, the spirit of 